Continuing in our love for the, the church with Big C and our focus on one, which is unity, I want to pray today for Josh and Wendy Chafin who pastor his house and their family. So let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, we pray today that you're filling every seat in that church. We thank you for the Chafin family. We thank you that they are following your lead and that together in ministry we can continue to reach people in this community for healing, for salvation, Lord, for just directing the gospel into a world that needs it. So we pray today for them and ask you to give them health and strength and wisdom and discernment. Allow them to carry out their ministry in the power of your spirit. We pray it in your name. Amen. In 2001, my wife called me and said, you need to come hear this guy preach. You know, seriously? That was me. That's where pride begins. So I said, okay, honey, which is me having the last word. It took you a little while to get that one, yeah. And I went out there that night. I'd been in ministry longer than this kid had been alive. And he came out and he started to announce his text and my heart said, oh, I've preached that. Yeah, I know what that is. I doubt that he'll have anything to say to me of any value. Isn't that awful? You know, a pastor saying that? So he started preaching and about five minutes into the message, I asked for an audience with God. So why didn't you tell me what he's saying? That's awesome stuff. Where did he get that from? You see, my, my pride was keeping me from being able to understand what God had for me. And pride is the number one problem of disunity in the church. And we're going to see why today. We've talked about the church. We've talked about um, the love that God has for us. And now today, we want to talk about that which disunifies us so that we'll know how to come against it. Because it's a scary thing to be torn apart. And churches throughout history have found good reasons to divide, which are usually over orthodoxy, meaning there are churches that do not believe Jesus is God, that do not believe in the Trinity, that do not believe that the Word of God is everything we say it is. And so they separate from those who do believe the way we believe. And that's happened through history. That's not what we're talking about today. What we're talking about today is what you and I do to bring separation to a church, to actually defeat God's intent to have the church be what it's supposed to be. I was researching on why churches separate and I mean, I know some of these because I've experienced them myself when I've gone and, and spoke with other churches and I have discovered why they split. But listen to this. These are churches that divided over these five issues. One church had some ground around their church and they divided equally in half because they couldn't decide whether to use it as a playground or a cemetery. And so they divided one church couldn't decide which picture of Jesus to put in the lobby. And I mean, there were no cameras back then. Nobody knows what Jesus looked like. 
Another church couldn't decide whether to call it potluck or pot blessing. A fourth one, you're going to like this one, said it would not be proper to serve deviled eggs at a church party. And so they divided over it. I mean, would you go with the church that wanted deviled eggs? But here's my favorite. They divided because they couldn't decide what length the beard should be for the worship leader. Isn't that ridiculous? That's stuff that just doesn't make any sense. Now, the Apostle Paul addresses things like that when he writes 1 Corinthians. In the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians, he's warning them about things that could cause problems in the church. Here's some of the things he touches on. Immorality, infidelity, Christian liberty, communion, spiritual gifts, money. But the one he starts with is the one we're going to deal with today. Because anytime you make a list and you put something at the top, that's the most important thing in the list. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. So the gravest problem for the church of Jesus Christ is when those who make up the church, because we are the church, when we have divisions among ourselves. We are then playing into that which the evil one wants us to do. He wants us to be opposed to one another so we cannot have that unity. So he will use jealousy. You know the difference between jealousy and envy? The Bible says that God says he's jealous for us. You know why? When you're jealous, you don't want to give up something that you already own. When you're envious, you want something that somebody else has. That's the difference between the two. We often misuse those. God is jealous for us. Why? Because he already owns us. So he doesn't want to give us up to someone else. But if you are envious of what other people have, if you are are moving in the world of comparative living, where, oh, they have this, I wish I had that. Alan and I were talking the other day about the comparisons people make with pastors. And Alan and I never compare ourselves against one another. And as Paul said, we actually do not even compare ourselves against ourselves. We don't go back and say, well, that was a better sermon than this one. And if we ever hear any of you saying, you know, well, I like him better than him, you know, just make sure it's me. (laughs) But you've heard that before. You've heard people who will go into a church and they pick their favorite pastor. Listen, we are just instruments. We have known each other since about 2003 or four. We've lived in each other's homes. We have never, ever had a single disagreement of any type at any level, ever. And we're not going to start now. If you could just see how how beautiful it is the way God has blessed us to work together. And so we don't do comparisons because comparisons destroy churches. I actually had a person come up to me one time. They looked at me in the face and they said, you know, Alan, 
said, I really like Wally's preaching. <laughs> That's how meaningless it is. But you and I fall into that, don't we? We begin comparing ourselves with others or envying something that someone else has. We become jealous. We don't want to change the way we are. And then we slide into gossip where we take things that are not true and we treat them as though they are. And we're speaking against other people. That should not happen in the body of Christ. If you have a concern over an individual, according to Matthew, you go to that individual and you talk with them about that difficulty. If they don't change with that or if you were wrong, you'll straighten it out. But then you come to the elders and the elders can work with you to help you. We are here to be unified, not to be divided. Someone said this, when unity is broken, it is insidious, debilitating, and destructive. It's totally out of character for a transformed people. You see, we have been transformed by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what we sang about this morning. And that whole transformation means that now you and I are to learn how to get along with one another, to recognize that God has created us individually. There's no one else in here like me or like you. And that means that it's difficult to maintain unity, but you're going to learn how to do that because here's the problem. The problem in the church, two of them, the first one is it's us. You know, back in the 1950s, it was captured by... Walt Kelly, who wrote a very famous series called Pogo, a handful of you in here would remember that, where he took animals from the Okefenokee Swamp and he gave life to them, and Pogo was the one that came out on top. And one day Pogo is looking and he said, you know, I have found the enemy, and he is us. That's his most famous cartoon, 1971. The enemy is us. You are your own worst enemy. When you start dividing against that which God has brought together. We're the church. The church in the Greek is the called out ones. You and I have been called out to come together. So we must work out our differences. We can have differing opinions but we must always arrive at the same thing. If it glorifies God, if it edifies us, if it expands the kingdom, then we should all agree with where we're headed. I mean, I have a preference for form of worship, but I have been in probably 15 or 20 different forms of worship throughout the world, and every one of those is unique unto the, the body that Christ has brought together. And I don't hear people complaining about it. I hear them worshiping. So I have learned to worship no matter what the form is. But I do have a preference, and I'm not going to tell you what it is. Okay? My preference is to worship. I just want to worship. And I can worship in any setting that is glorifying God. That's unifying. So when you're having difficulties, you need to learn how to deal with yourself. You're the problem. You know, I'm my own worst problem. And so I know this. If I'm the problem, more than likely I'm not the solution. But God is. God is so good. 
He loves us so much that he already knows your difficulty. He knows what you think about everything. And what he's trying to do is help you line yourself up with his thinking so that you can have this mind in you, which was in Christ Jesus, that you can think God's thoughts, that you can bring every thought captive to the word of God. When you do that, then when those moments of, of envy, jealousy, gossip, slander, anger, when they start rising up in you against another person, then you can just call out, you know, Lord, help me. I want to give you a practical illustration of how to do that. See, Jesus came to bring unity. Now think of that. He left unity to bring unity. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. They're equal in all ways. There's no uh, subjection of one to the other in who they are. This is perfectly God. We worship one God, living and true God. And yet, in that perfectness, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, made a choice to leave that unification, that, that oneness, and come so that we could be one with him. He separated himself from the Father, and then on the cross, the Father separated himself from the Son. Why? To bring us to be one, because what was his high priestly prayer? Father, my prayer is that they may be one with us even as I am one with you. So unity was the whole purpose. After salvation, after Christ came and paid the price, it was to bring us together as the body of Christ. The reason we're praying for his house and we're praying for the Nazarene church and the other churches in the area is because we're one. We do it differently than they do. They do it differently than we do, but we're one. We are united. We're not better than them. They're not better than us. We're all one in serving God. Now, here's how I can help you remember it. How many of you have ever played Monopoly? Look at that. How many of you have played the card game Monopoly? Ah, okay, I got a few back there. This is going to cause a rush on the card game, I know, and I don't get any royalties from it. But in this card game, you're basically playing the same thing that you are on the board game, except there's some new options with it. The money's a lot greater. It's in the millions. But it's a lot of fun. And the two most important cards, I'm going to tell you one of them right now, is this, that when someone wants to do something to you, they want to cause division between you and the game because they want to win the game. And they say, all right, give me this or give me that or I'm going to steal that from you or I'm going to swap this one out and you don't have any choice. You have a card and it's called Just Say No. Isn't that an awesome card? That's it. It's an action card. I love that. It's an action card. Just say no. So they put down their card that says, give me $5 million. I put down my card that says, just say no. And they can't do anything about it unless I play my wife who always seems to have two of those pay me five when I have one just say no. All right, here's how we apply this. When something's rising up in me and, and I feel that tension that's going to bring division in relationships, whether it's in my family or among my friends, or in the church. I have to learn in my mind to just say no. 
I'm not going to let that happen. I'm not going to listen to your gossip. I'm not going to listen if you start to slander someone or speak against them. I'm not going to listen because I'm not supposed to. I won't listen to anything that would bring division to the body of Christ. There is a proper way to question things, and it's not to divide. And so I carry around the just say no card in my heart. And if someone comes to me and says, listen, I heard something about Bob, just say no, I don't want to hear about Bob. If you got a problem with Bob, you go talk to Bob. If you need help after that, come see me. But I'm not getting in the middle of something that could cause division. I'm just going to say no. So I want you to practice it here. If somebody comes to you and says something divisive, what are you going to say? You won't get very far with that no. Let me hear it again. What are you going to say? No. Now, you say it in love because you could be just as guilty as they are. You know that. There's no sin among men that we're not all in common with that it's possible that we, too, could be the ones spreading something. But when you learn to play that card and just say no, you're going to find it much easier, and you're not going to find separation. When that thought goes through your mind in an argument or a debate that's going on in your family, don't let it be divisive. It's supposed to be unifying because the family represents the church of God in its small attitude. This is who we are. My wife and my children, my grandchildren and I, we're representing the kingdom of God. So we want togetherness. We don't want separation. We are the body of Christ. So we want togetherness, not separation. So we are our own worst enemy, but we're also, with the help of Jesus Christ who lives in us, we're able to overcome those things. You're not trapped in an area of self-defeat. The only thing you have to do in your heart and your mind is say, okay, I've studied the scripture. I know what God wants me to do, so I am going to say no to anything that is divisive. You got that part. Now, that's us. Remember we talk about the world, the flesh, the devil being the enemies that we have? Well, the world and Satan, the devil, work together so really, there are only two enemies. I'm my own worst enemy, but then there is the evil one. Then there is Satan. Isaiah chapter 14, the prophet writes this. In reference to Satan, how you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. Now, let me explain that right there. In Hebrew, that's Hillel ben Shahar. Ben is always son of. B-E-N always means son of. And Shahar is the dawn. And Hillel comes from the Hallel that we sang this morning with hallelujah. It's praise. So he was the praise leader at the dawn of creation. God created Lucifer to lead in prayer and worship and just to be the, the whole one that gathered those however many countless numbers of angels there are. He brought them together to worship the mighty one. Now, here's what happened. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, here comes pride, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, 
on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That's Satan. That's exactly what he did that caused him to fall. What is it? It's pride. So pride began. The, the first church split was in heaven. Because that's when Satan somehow gathered these angels and off they went with him. Francis Frangiopan said, through stealth, slander, and seduction, Satan put intoxicating lies to engender discontentment among the angels until the very pleasures of heaven could not satisfy them. Wow. Can you imagine that? You're living in the presence of God, the creator. You're worshiping him and enjoying him. There's nothing to cause any problems, but you are convinced that darkness is better than light, that following a created being is better than following the one who created. How did he convince the angels of this? No one knows, but a third of them, according to the scriptures, decided to follow him. That's just, it's amazing what he was able to do. We have a war in the heavens. Ephesians 6.12 tells us that we're not warring against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, when we fall back into where we're causing one another to divide against ourselves, it's based on a spiritual war. The Spirit of God wanted to achieve three things. Two, he has achieved already. And he is this, this spirit of the evil one. He's, he's just terrible. Here's what he did. The first thing that he decided to do was to come against and lure all these angels away. The second thing he decided to do was to divide heaven and then to divide earth. He came to the Garden of Eden. Now, God had already met with Adam and Eve. And I want to show you parallel passage in chapter 2, chapter 3, things that God says, things that Satan says, to show you the subtleness of Satan and how he wants to divide us. Look at Genesis chapter 2. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Then he continues, but you cannot eat of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, So he, he restricted him from one tree, but he permitted him to eat from all other trees. Satan comes in and says to Eve, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say... You must not eat from any tree in the garden. That's not what he said, is it? But Satan takes truth and he twists it just a little bit, just a couple of degrees to try to get you to follow a lie. Let me show you the character of who he is. This is Satan's character. He's proud. He's powerful. He's wicked. He's evil in all his ways. He's subtle. He's deceitful. He's fierce. He's a murderer, a destroyer, 
an accuser, a seducer, an oppressor, and the king of demons. That's who he is. He's a very powerful being. I never take lightly when I speak of him because I know the power given to him by God as God oversees all that he does. I don't understand all of it, but I know this, that I don't have fear because fear is a spirit and it comes from him. I don't have the spirit of fear because I've been given the spirit of love and of power and of a sound mind. So I don't have to bend in to the direction that Satan would want to take me. But let me tell you what he does. This is how he lives it out. He masquerades as good. Someone said if he came here to preach from this pulpit, he'd preach against his own existence because he masquerades as though he is good. He works false wonders like he did in Moses' day with Pharaoh. He tries to hinder you as a follower of Christ. You don't always know that he's the one behind it, and sometimes he's not. Sometimes it's the flesh, but it's hard to discern. He makes war on Christians. We have more martyrs today than ever before in the history of the world, people who are dying for the sake of Jesus. He opposes our work. He blinds the world to the truth of who we are and of the gospel. He causes sickness and disease. He's the father of lies. He makes you to be troubled. He steals, he kills, he destroys. He tries to pervert scripture. Now let me give you a little bit of good news here and that is that he's not the equal opposite of God. God is the creator. He is a created being. He is not all-knowing, all-powerful and ever-present. He has to work through those third of the angels that he brought with him whom we call demons. But this is our adversary, the devil, who is seeking us. He's not concerned about unbelievers. He's already got them. What he's concerned about is the power of the church. So what do you think his goal is? It's to disunify the church. It's to bring as much as he can into the church to cause it trouble so it'll fall apart. And it's happening all over the world. If you keep up at all with the things that are going on in Christendom, you look at some of these churches where the high ones have fallen, where different things are happening in the church. It's just devastating to the body of Christ because they fail to see the battle that we're up against. I'm up against the battle against myself and against the evil one. I can say, just say no to myself with God's help as I bring those thoughts captive to the word because the word's going to tell me what to do. He'll use your weaknesses, your strengths, your addictions, your pride, your wisdom, all of these against you. So you're fighting two fields of battle and you have to learn how to claim the victory. That's what the worship was all about this morning. We have the victory. We do not have to succumb to the evil one. We do not have to succumb to the weakness of our own flesh because we are all about unity. We want this unity. God is so good to us. Here's the good news. This is the only, I don't think this was going to be on the screen, but just listen to this. 1 John 2.14. Just hear this. The word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. 
The word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Personalize it. The word of God lives in me. The Holy Spirit lives in me. I have overcome the evil one. The evil one has no claims on me. Whatever comes against me, my God is able. The only power Satan has over me is the power I'm willing to give him. And I'm not willing to give him any power. I don't want to give him any recognition. I simply want to say, my God, my God is powerful. My God is the one who's broken every chain. He's broken every deal. And that's what you need to learn. You need to learn the power that is within you. The Holy Spirit lives there, and he wants to just come and show you the way to the greatest unity because in the end, we are unified, and we will be in his presence together. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up now as I close because I want to tell you about the victory march that you need to make. Colossians 2.15. These are three scriptures for you to write down because this is where your power is going to come from. Colossians 2.15. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Okay, there's our victory. So you already have the victory over the evil one. Secondly, Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. The gates of Hades will not overcome it. All right, we have all the power over the satanic one. Revelation 15, 2. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire, standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name, they held harps given by God. We have the victory. We need to learn how to play the card. I've already taught you about the just say no card. Here's the one that trumps everything. It's called the deal breaker. The deal breaker is a card that when you play it, you can steal monopolies. You can win the game with it because it's the most powerful card in the deck. Let me tell you, the deal breaker is the resurrection. We won everything at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So now we have all the power. All the deals against us have been broken. There's nothing formed against you that can prosper. But you have to say no to that which tries and then play the deal breaker. Jesus, he's a deal breaker. Jesus, that's all you have to say. You just claim the power of Jesus. Why? Because God is so good. He will keep you unified as the body of Christ. He will keep you out of that which could divide us. God is so good. Let's stand and worship him together.